Good evening. With a title like First Century Advice for 21st Century Christians, I could preach anywhere from the New Testament. But tonight I'm not going to. I'm going to be looking at specifically at one book, First John. We will be looking at the book of First John both this evening and tomorrow. And I believe that the message of First John uh, is, it is very important for the day that we're living in. Before I get started, though, would you be so kind as just to bow your heads with me? <laughs> Father, I'm kneeling here because I recognize it is your spirit that speaks to our hearts. And we ask for your spirit to speak to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. What kind of advice would be relevant to us today from someone who was living so long ago with such a vastly different culture? How could they write something that actually means something to us today? You know, in the early decades of the Christian church, John had watched the church flourish and grow. However, in the midst of the growth, he noticed that something was starting to die. A foundational teaching of Jesus that was the litmus test for Christianity. And so we are going to jump in to the study of the book of 1 John and find out what is the message of 1 John for us today. Um, today, uh, this evening, I can only give you part of the message. I, I warn you that we will be left a little bit empty-handed, not empty-handed, but not quite sure what to do. And the uh, summation will come tomorrow. So I'm looking forward to uh, part two tomorrow. That being said, please open up your Bibles with me to the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1. 1 John chapter 1 verse 1, John starts out with this. This, then, is the message which we have heard from the beginning. No. Which was from the beginning, which we have heard. Which we have seen with our eyes. Which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. So here is this picture. We, we see that something has been Heard something has been seen, something has been looked upon, and it has been touched. Yes? And of the word of life. Verse 2 says, For the life was manifested, and we have what? Seen it and bear witness, and show unto you what? Whom? That eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. Clearly we compare this with the book of John, we know we're talking about Jesus. No questions here. This message is based upon John's personal experience. He heard Jesus. He saw Jesus. He looked at Jesus. He was around Jesus physically. You know, um, I'd like to introduce a food to you tonight. I would like you to hear about it then, uh, well, you can't do the rest because I don't have it here. 
The fruit is chirimoya. I'm destroying it, but um, anyone know what I'm talking about? That is fruit. I've had some people say, well, that's soursop, and I say, no, it's not. It may have some similarities, but there's a difference. So uh, let me tell you what others have said. Mark Twain said, it is the most delicious fruit known to man. A German botanist said this, if I were asked which were the best fruit, I would choose without hesitation, Cherimoya. Its taste indeed surpasses that of every other fruit. If you'd like to get some, make sure you get a plane ticket to Ecuador. All right. Is there some other places there is chili moya? Because I'm noticing there's some nodding heads here. Please let us know. It is light green, yellowish skin. It's soft, and you can just break it open like this. White flesh around a dark seed. I have never tasted something like that. I was traveling from Quito up into the mountains above there, so we were pretty high in elevation, probably 10, 12,000 feet. And the gentleman who was driving us, we were hungry. We were college students on a choir trip. And we were hungry. We had woken up and not had breakfast. And I don't know, when you're 19 and you haven't had breakfast, man, life's falling apart. And uh, he stopped at a food stand. He threw a bag of oranges in the back. And he threw a bag of this uh, light green, yellowish-looking whatever it was. We didn't know it was Chirimoya. And being raised in the United States, I'm used to oranges being orange on the outside. And so when I saw all the green oranges, I thought, I'm not interested in them, not knowing that they were ripe, and I just am used to painted oranges, or whatever we call it. And then a friend of mine opened up one of the chirimoyas, and we put one in our mouth, a little bit sticky. Our hands got covered with it. Oh, it was so good. So we ate one, and two, and three, and four. And we finished the whole bag of chirimoya. It's about this bag. And I know they're a specialty fruit. And when we got there, I don't know Spanish well. But, uh, and the man who I was traveling with did not speak much English. But he could say this word. He said, pig. <laughs> we had eaten all of the chirimoya. There was nothing left. He had actually bought the oranges for us and the chirimoya for his workers who were working at the farm where we were going. Um, but I can tell you it was fantastic. You've heard about it. I personally saw it. I felt it. I tasted it. And I can tell you it's worth you doing sometime. But see, this is what John had. This is what John had with Jesus. It wasn't some hearsay that his father had told him about or maybe his pastor had told him about. John had a personal experience with Jesus Christ. He, he had not just heard about the Beatitudes. He heard them. He also heard Jesus asking him with his agonizing last breath to take care of his mother. He had not just read about it on a page, but he had saw whole towns healed and free of disease. 
you saw 10,000 people at least fed with the loaves and the fishes. He had looked at Jesus. Can you imagine what it would have been like to travel with Jesus and he goes to sleep and you sleep in the same area? And then you're snoozing in the morning around 5 o'clock and you hear something, you turn over and you see he's getting up and he's walking out of camp. And you know he's going to spend time with his father. He looked at Jesus. He saw how Jesus responded to those who were fighting with him, for those who loved him, to those who doubted him. What would it have been like? He experienced the ate the food. And maybe, just maybe, he felt the hand of Jesus on his shoulder. The experience of John was phenomenal. He heard, he saw, he looked upon, and he handled of the word of life. He goes on and he tells us this in verse 3 of 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. He said, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you. So he said, the experience that I've had, I'm going to share that experience with you. That ye also may have what? Fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with who? With the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. He said, what I've experienced, I'm sharing with you for this reason. That you also can have what? Fellowship with whom? Us and with the Father and with His Son. This is the purpose of the message. The reason John is writing to his first century readers, and dare I say his 21st century readers, the reason he's writing is because he wants us to have a fellowship with God and with his son and with each other. Fellowship. You know, I'm afraid sometimes that in our 21st century world, Christianity seems so far off today. Not relevant. Oftentimes what we see on TV or read in a novel seems so much more real than the dry, disconnected stories of a time and culture that we just don't grasp. You know why? Because Satan is a master in making that which is fake seem real and that which is real seem fake. You know, Paul tells us this, right? While the things which we see are temporary, but the things which we cannot see, they're what? Eternal. Somehow there needs to be a shift in our mind between the fake and the real between the seen and the unseen. Fellowship with Jesus and the Father is often started by hearing personal, first-hand accounts of Jesus Christ. Although it's not said, the hearing, the seeing, and the touching that John had led to his fellowship with Jesus. 
Today, you and I can hear and see. We can hear and see or begin to hear and see by learning about the life of Christ seen in the Gospels. Uh, There's a book I love called Desire of Ages. And uh, I remember as a, a student on this campus, it was a few years ago when I walked here, 29 to be exact, Uh, 1993 is when I first walked onto this campus. And I remember being confused. How do you study the Bible? So I'd read a chapter from the Bible, and then I would go out for a walk, and I expect that somehow I would have this relationship with God. I had this Bible teacher, and he would encourage us to spend time with God. And I thought, oh, that's great. I'd spend time, but I felt like something was missing. Because, you know, it's possible to read the words of this book and not be changed. You say, Chuck, that almost sounds wrong. But it is possible because sometimes we read it for reasons that are not correct. Someone introduced me to a book called Desire of Ages. Someone had quoted something that Pastor Bohr had shared a little bit earlier today. Spending a thoughtful hour with the life of Christ. I didn't have an hour. I was a college student. At least that's what I thought. But I spent time, and I started reading the book, Desire of Ages, and I read the book, Desire of Ages. i got to be careful I don't get too caught up on this, but I want to share this with you tonight. As I read the book, Desire of Ages, I would skip the sermon parts. Because if you've ever read uh, Sister White's writings, she'll tell you the story, and then she tells the application of the story. Well, I didn't need the application. I just wanted to read the story. At least that's what I thought. So I would skip the application and the sermon element and go straight to the story. And I'd go to one chapter, to the next chapter, to the next chapter. And I was amazed as I read it that somehow Jesus had something I didn't have. I was a young person, 18 years old, and hurting inside. And I would presume that I'm normal. That there's a lot of people Most people have something missing inside if Jesus isn't there. And so here I am. I want something. I'm just searching for it. But, yeah. Then I came to that chapter, Days of Conflict, if any of you have read Desire of Ages. It talked about Jesus as a teenager. I thought, man, he knows what I'm going through. Jesus knows teenage issues? I mean, it's not exactly like what I'm going through. But he knew what it was like to not be liked. He knew what it was like to have people down his back. He knew what it was like for his family not to understand him. And uh, I've met very few teenagers who think that their parents understand them. Most teenagers I've met thought that their parents don't understand them. And now that I have a person who's almost a teenager, she may be feeling the same way. But God understood me. Jesus, that, and it was a change in my life. What I'm talking about today is we need to experience Jesus and not just some kind of reading, but to say, who are you? What do you have for me? I want to learn more about you. A truly interactive relationship with Jesus Christ. Talk to him. Study about him. Pray. Verse 4 says, And these things write we unto you, For what reason? That your 
your joy may be full. So the first reason he said, I'm going to declare these things is so that you can have fellowship with us and with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And now he says, I'm writing to you that you may have fullness of joy. You know, in the Bible, there's only one place you get joy from. It's from fellowship. Actually, there's two places. It's always based upon relationship. One place, the only exception is 2 John 12. And that's fellowship with a fellow Christian. But with everyone else, fullness of joy comes in the presence of Jesus Christ. Psalms chapter 16, yes? Verse 11. In your presence is what? Fullness of joy. So, let's look at this. We have a message. The message is going to have, uh, it's based upon John's personal observance of God, of Jesus. That message is going to have me have fellowship with each other and with the Father and with his Son. That message is going to give me fullness of joy, which, interestingly enough, is only found in the presence of Jesus. What is the message? Let's look at it. Verse 5. This, then, is the message. I love it when it says it. Okay, we've been told he experienced something. He's going to share with us. It's going to do these great things. And he says, this, then, is the message. He says, which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is what? That God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. You know, when I first read this and I saw the buildup of chapter 1, verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, it says, God is light. I said, I'm missing something. So that's the message? God is light? I mean, we know that, right? Psalms chapter 27, verse 1 comes across my mind. Uh, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Over and over, Jesus says in the gospel, specifically John, I am the light of the world, right? What is this talking about? God is light. Well, it says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And of course, that makes verse 6 true. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So if you're walking with Jesus, you are in the light. But if you are in darkness, are you walking with Jesus? No, so, so walking with Jesus is in the light and not walking with Jesus is in darkness. Then it says this in verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have what? Fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Wait a minute. We were told that the message, verse 3, is going to bring me into fellowship with each other and with God and his son. And now I'm told that when I walk in the light, I have fellowship one with another. Okay, this is the message. We're seeing it. So what's interesting, though, here is I find that the light is important. But I don't have a practical understanding of what the light is. The light is important, but what is it? A few verses later, John talks about light again. You will note that when you study 1 John, light is only mentioned in two places. A couple of verses in chapter 1 and a couple of verses in chapter 2. Let's look at chapter 2, starting with verse 8. I was excited when Norbert was sharing this this afternoon in our panel discussion. I said, this is what we're going to be looking at tonight. So here it is. Chapter 2 and verse 8. And again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the what is past. The darkness is past, and what's happening? 
the true light now shines. So in John's day, he says the true light is now shining. And then he says this in verse 9. He that saith he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness even until now. If you hate your brother, where are you at? You're in darkness. Are you in the light? No. Let's look at verse 10. He that loves his brother abideth in the light, and there is no occasion of stumbling in him. So if you love your brother, where are you at? You're in the light. If you hate your brother, you are in? But if you love your brother, you are in the? And then it says there is no occasion of stumbling in him. That word is scandal in the Greek. Kind of find that interesting. Then it says this in verse 11. He that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth because his dark, that darkness hath blinded his eyes. If you hate, you're blind. If you have hatred in your heart, you're blind. You can't see. Have you ever, uh, we got used to GPSs today, haven't we? Man, punch it in to get you wherever you need to go. We got so dependent on GPSs, I don't know about you, but sometimes I forgot what it means to actually pay attention to where you're going. And so if you're so, it's like, Today, if my GPS stopped working and I'm traveling through New York City, I'm in serious trouble. I'm going in circles. I'm blind. I don't uh, and I can't stop because everyone's going 65 mile an hour. There's no way I can solve my problem. I just keep going and hope and somehow I hit the right place. And if you have hatred, you're without a GPS and you're doing the same thing. You're just going. I hope that somehow it works. That won't work. It's not going to work. In the second chapter, we've talked about light. The message of 1 John is light. God is light. That's what he said. It's a message he's giving to us. And then he tells us that light is connected with what word? It starts with the same letter. Love. And hatred or dark, excuse me, darkness is connected with Hatred. So that is the, the, the picture that we are getting here. Friends, light is not mentioned anymore in 1 John. But throughout the rest of 1 John, there is a word that comes up over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And that word is love. Love is the message of 1 John. It is. It's the message for us today. This was the pressing need that was dying out in John's day that I believe we must be aware of it dying out in our day. Remember, what, it was, what, was the, what was the church? If you look at the seven churches of Revelation, what is the church of John's day? Ephesus, that's right. And they have lost their what? They've lost their first love. And if you look at what takes place at the end of time, it says the love of many will what? Wax cold. We have similar issues today. Now, that being said, I'd like to take a little bit of time and look at love in the book of 1 John. First of all, I'd like to look at love of God towards us. 
1 John chapter 4, and you could go anywhere on this, I'm just choosing two verses. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. We're looking at the love of God towards us. For this was manifested, the love of God towards us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might what? Live through him. I love this. This is a part of love that is, yeah, it's pretty, pretty awesome. God sent his son into the world for what purpose? That we might live through him. Do you realize that you do not have what it takes to love? We don't. You can come here to convocation and dress right. You can come to convocation and eat right. You can go back home and not entertain right. All on your own strength. But you cannot love right. It's impossible. You and I, without God, don't have the ability to love. And anyone who thinks they do is missing something. We can be selfish and call it love, but that's not God's kind of love. This verse 9 says that God sent his son into the world that we might live through him. And the reason why he sent his son so we could live through him is because you and I don't have what it takes. And so he said, okay, I've sent my son so that your life can be connected with his life. And that way you can have it. And what do you say? Amen. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He gave himself for me so I can live with him. That's love. That's one way of love. Verse 10. Verse 10 says, Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Not only did Jesus send his Son and show his love so that we could live through him, but God gives us love that he forgives our sin. He's provided the atonement, the propitiation for our sin. But there's more love than just God's love towards us in the book of 1 John. There's our love towards God. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. For this is the what? Love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. So we show love to God by doing what? Keeping his commandments. All right? And then our scripture text for this evening. We don't have just love towards God. We also have love towards others. First John chapter 3, verse 23 says, And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. So God's command for us is that we should love each other. <laughs> I have three children. I love them very much. But I tell you what, they have forced me to see who I am. <laughs> and genetics is not the only way it's happened. Not only do I see myself in them, 
I realize that there's this controversy constantly in my heart. All right, I've had a hard day counseling, studies, etc. I come home, I want to put up my feet and read a book. And I get a call that I should read another kind of book. It's for a three-year-old. That wasn't part of my agenda. I don't want you to misunderstand this. I love my children. I love my family. But there are times when I have to choose. Do I love me more or them more? What do they call that? Self-sacrificing love. Is that the picture? So the reason I'm bringing this up to you is because um, I was out praying through 1 John. I am, uh, I've been working on memorizing 1 John. I love the book. I've been studying it for, for almost a year now. God, I want to understand 1 John. What does this mean? And God said, Chuck, you've got to love your kids more than you love yourself. I said, man, that, that's too practical, God. Is there some other meaning? <laughs> no. This, is, this idea, see, love is so easy to talk about. But it's impossible to live without Christ in our lives. You know, there's a few questions I have for you. Is love saying the right words? Isaiah chapter 29. We'll do just a little bit out of 1 John tonight. Okay, so Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 13. We're asking ourselves the question, is love saying the right words? And I should probably say only saying the right words. How about that? That way I'm not being too, too put in a box here. Isaiah 29, verse 30, 13. The Bible says, Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their what? Their heart from, from me, and their fear towards me is taught by the precept of men. You can say all the right stuff. Doesn't mean that your heart's with God. Saying it doesn't make it true. How about to other people? Is it possible to say the right words to other people and not really love them? James, right? We know where we're going. So can we look at it, James, real quick? James chapter uh, 2 and verse 16. James 2, verse 16. The Apostle James says, And one of you say unto them, Depart in peace. Be ye warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful to them. What doth it profit? You ever looked at a person who is in need and said, God bless you. I hope you find what you're looking for. Yeah, you could even say, I pray for you. You know what? I see that you're down and out right now. I'll pray for you. Now, is it wrong to pray for someone? Not at all. And I hope that when you say that, you do. There is times when we can't provide what's needed. Am I right? But if you have what's needed and you say, God bless you and send them on their way, would you say that's love? 
at saying the right thing, be warm and be filled. But it's not reality. Love. So let's say, is it doing the right actions? Is love doing the right actions? This is a little bit harder. 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. My goal tonight, can I tell you my goal? I don't normally do this, but I'm going to tell you. My goal is to make you feel hopelessly lost. Okay? I want you to realize that you just don't have what it takes. Okay? Is that okay? So 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 2. The Bible says, And though I have the gift of what? Prophecy. You know, I, I look at this, and as a Seventh-day Adventist, I read through this, and I say, why did they call out Seventh-day Adventists at the very beginning? And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries, and what? All knowledge. I know my fundamentals inside out. Anyone want to ask me right now? I'll tell you about the 2300 days and their connection with the 70 weeks. I can tell you how important it is for us to understand that right now in the time we're living in. However, it goes on and says this. So that I could, and though I have all faith. Now, this is serious. Because you and I know we're saved by grace through faith. So I have all faith. And have not charity? I am nothing. Wait a minute. I'm a, I'm a graduate of Heartland College. I'm an elementary education major, just in case any of you were wondering. But when I went here, just the other classes we took was the equivalent of getting another degree in, in, in religion. At least that's how I felt about it. I studied. But with all that knowledge, I'm nothing if I don't have love. Well, I can get it because, you know, knowledge isn't love, right? But verse 3 in 1 Corinthians 13 always shakes me a little bit. Notice what it says. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. Wait, 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 wait a minute now. This is Isaiah 58. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned. I mean, I'm doing so much for God that I'm just sacrificing myself. And have not love. It profits me nothing. I could say the right words and not have love. I can do the right actions and not have love. I can do loving actions without love. What is God telling us? What is love? What does true love look like? Well, we're going to start on that journey because I don't think I can fully answer that. 1 Corinthians 13, by the way, is beautiful, but we're going to go back to 1 John, okay? We're going to go back to 1 John. 1 Corinthians 13 actually gives us the answer, but I'm going to look at it in 1 John as well. 1 John, and let's start with chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 17. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 uh, when I was a freshman at Heartland, I took a class called Conversion and Righteousness by Faith. And we all had to memorize 1 John 3. So this is uh, one that I, I remember distinctly because one of the words in this verse really stuck out to me. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, 
and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Uh, I, I, I struggled with this. Okay, bowels of compassion. Yes? Uh, in, the, in the Hebrew thought, your internal organs, your intestines, were actually the source of affection and kindness. Um, so that is the literal translation there in, in 1 John 3 in the King James Version. However, you'll, you'll read it this way in the New King James Version. Shutting up your heart. If you see someone have need and you shut up your heart. Uh, the NASB says, close up your heart. In summary, love is the opposite of that. When you see your heart aches. When you see someone with need, it, 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 it aches. It's a feeling. Now, there's action connected with it. We're about to look at that in the verse 18. But there's a feeling, too. Verse 18 goes on and says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. These two verses are saying that love is an emotion we have towards others that shows itself by pure action. You need them both. I've, it's possible, do you realize, to do all the right things in an effort to win your way to heaven and not because you're loving. God is asking for something beyond. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. We've read this already. It says, Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. There's a principle here. It's coming from God, but it's a principle for us. Love is not based upon love. Let me, let me say that differently. My love for others is not based upon their love for me. Okay? I will love my children when they are kind. Us as parents, we realize that that doesn't work because you may not be loving as much as you should be. I am going to love my church members, fellow church members, when they're kind to me. As long as they are kind and respectful to me on the board, then I will be kind and respectful to them. As long as they allow me to do what I want to do in the church, I will love them. No. Love, is, love doesn't need love to love. It does, but not from another human being. Amen? There's, I tell you, I, I look at this, and I, I'm, if you think I'm up here speaking to you, I've stepped on my toes so many times this evening, it's hurting, okay? Because I know the weakness of myself. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. And please note this last phrase. Because as he is, so are we where? In this world. You know that passage in, in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48? Be therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. It's in context of loving your enemy. That's the context. And so here it says there, there is love. It was perfect love because we're going to be like him. As he is, so are we in this world. You know, there's a, a favorite quotation of me, of mine. <laughs> Boy. Desire of Ages, page 641. 
When we love the world as Christ loved it, then for us his mission is accomplished. We are fitted for heaven, for we have heaven in our hearts. You want to know what Christian perfection is in a simplistic way? It's this, loving as Jesus loved. That is it. And I can tell you that you and I can't love as Jesus loved unless Jesus is in us. You say, well, Chuck, I thought commandment keeping was love. It is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. 1 John chapter 4, 18, another thing about true love, another characteristic. It says, there is how much fear in love? No fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. One of the main reasons why people don't love today is because they're scared. Scared of rejection, I guess, is one, but that's not the main one. But it is one. We are afraid. Maybe if I love, I won't be loved back. Or maybe if I love, I'm going to run out of it. Especially if I'm loving people who don't love me back. But God's love, there is no fear. It just gives and gives and gives. It's like a a well of water springing up in you and never running out. And the only way that happens is when Jesus Christ is living in our lives. We're going to be talking about, that's, that's part two. We're talking, I'm using the phrase, but we're going to be looking at the reality of that by God's grace tomorrow. And I like to look at 1 John 4.20. Share a little story. That is okay. And then share one of my favorite prayers from the writings of Ellen White. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 says, If a man say, I love God, and hate his brother, he is a liar. We will look at this a little bit more tomorrow, but John has no problem calling people liars. I mean, those are fighting words. Am I right? He doesn't have a problem saying it. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? I believe, uh, by the way, our brothers and sisters are who? Who's our brother and sister? Everybody. That's right. This was highly contested. It still is highly contested in our world today, at least here in the United States. And I'm looking at the concept of the subject of racism. Martin Luther King wrote something, Junior, that is famous, and I will read it. Uh, You may be able to quote it with me. He said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. That dream is growing dim. 
I have a dream. I have a dream that one day in Alabama with his vicious racist, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification, one day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. You've heard of the Children's March in Birmingham, Alabama. Many of the children marched around with a verse on their signs. But you know what verse it was? It's this one. If a man say, I love God and hate his brother, he is a liar. I look out, and the reason I bring this up is because I have felt and seen the hatred in my country. But I know it's not only here. And I know it's not only in the issue of people of different ethnicities. I see people of the same background and culture chewing each other up. One person makes a little statement and all of a sudden it explodes. What did you mean by that? Huh? I'm not going to take it until you take that back. Come on. It is time for us to let God's love be in our hearts and to love whether people love you or not. If they're going to make your life miserable, and by the way, I had something just happen yesterday. Um, I, I said, honey, I was talking to my wife. Why do I have to practice my sermon? I didn't quite say it that way, but I felt like saying it that way. There's someone just getting on my nerves. And I can't get too specific because I'm being videoed right now. <laughs> just making my life miserable. And I know that they know that they are. And God says, Chuck, love them. Pray for them. Care about them. Wish them, not only wish them well, do whatever it takes to make their life better because you exist. Man. So what does it look like? Characteristics of true love. It has emotion, but it also acts purely. It loves when others don't love back. It gives assurance in the judgment because we are like Christ and we love like him. It gives us a life without fear and it's impartial. It's truly loving to all. How does this happen? We will look at this more tomorrow, but I'd like to share that prayer it's from Christ's Object Lessons, page 159. When I first came as a student here, there was a tape that was going around and back when we had cassette tapes. Remember cassette tapes? And a cassette tape, and it was Spirit of Prophecy songs. Very interesting. I'm not going to sing it to you, but I'm going to quote it to you. And the one song that stuck out most in my mind was this one. Lord, take my heart, for I cannot give it. 
It's your property. Keep it pure, for I can't keep it for you. Save me in spite of myself, my weak, unchristlike self. Mold me, fashion me, raise me in a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich current of your love can flow through my soul. I pray it over and over again. You want me to sing it, brother? Yeah, then, then everyone's going to leave before our closing prayer. <laughs> Lord, take my heart, for I cannot give it. It is thy property. Keep it pure, for I cannot keep it. I cannot keep it for thee. Save me in spite of myself, my weak and Christ-like self. Mold me, fashion me, raise me, yes, raise me in a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich current of thy love can flow through my soul. I pray that is your prayer. It is mine. Father, we are here together thankful for your tremendous love for us. And we also recognize you have a, a high calling, not complex, but a high calling of love. And we know we don't have it. And we're asking, Father, that you would give us your love, that you would take our hearts, we can't give them to you, and that you would fill us with your love. We ask for these things this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.